Another wild sun season ends in disappointment at home in the second round in blowout fashion. It's feeling like deja vu. On today's episode of Locked On Suns, we'll talk about how they lost this game, why they lost this game, and was it destiny or just a big disappointment? Let's go. You are Locked On Suns, your daily Phoenix Suns podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We are back. This is Locked On Phoenix Suns. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network. And I'm your host, Brendan Clean, a credentialed media member covering the Suns for the past six seasons, a writer at suns.com, and the host of the Just Basketball Show, wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for making Locked On Suns your first listen after this game six loss. Um, It's not easy probably to hit play, but look, appreciate you being here. We're here hell or high water, and you decided to click in. You are an everydayer. You want everything about this team, even when it's bad. So I appreciate all of those of you who have followed along throughout these playoffs and are here today. If you haven't already, hit follow or subscribe. Looking like it might be a fairly busy offseason, so there is not going to be any shortage of content headed your way if you go ahead and hit that button wherever you're finding this show. But let's write, get right to it. 125-100, the Phoenix Suns lose in Game 6 at the hands of the Denver Nuggets. And I'm going to try to be fairly reasonable Um for today, in terms of the scope of the conversation, I, I don't want to necessarily nest, try to be reasonable with my thoughts. I'm going to give you my straightforward analysis of this whole thing, but I, I'm not going to get ahead of myself, I guess. So let's talk about the game first. Normally on these recap shows, I come in and do the, the, the moment of the game, right? And it it was weird vibes from the beginning. Maybe I just was projecting that onto this game because I felt a little uneasy No DeAndre Ayton, no Chris Paul. The Nuggets got out to a lead, but but nothing crazy. You know, eight to five, six to three. And the Suns are just making shots. The Suns were, they started this game seven of 10 from the field. And then I guess you would probably say that things really flipped when Jock Landale went out. And at that moment, the Suns were down one point. And right after that, Booker made a three. The Suns were up 21 to 19, and then they were up 24 to 21. And after that lead of 24 to 21, the Nuggets went on a 23 to 2 run to close out the first quarter. And the Suns just could not get a stop. I think that's the most sort of damning thing here. And and I know the inevitable thing that's on people's minds is game seven last year against Dallas, but the difference here, not that there needs to be a difference. This is horrible, but the difference in that game is the Suns scored 37 points in the first half of game seven against Dallas last year. In this case, they scored 26 in the first quarter. That's not a ton of points, but in a lot of the games in this series, it would be totally fine. In this particular case, their defense just fell apart and the Nuggets scored at will. I believe the Nuggets had 20-plus points in the paint in the 
first quarter alone, I believe Kentavious Caldwell Pope had 15 points by himself. Both of his threes came during that run. You had Jokic just getting his own misses several times. Felt like Jokic just had a... I can pull his shot chart up from the first quarter. Felt like Jokic just had a parade of buckets. Yeah, he had five baskets in the restrict in the paint sorry in the first quarter alone he was five of seven and his only bucket outside the paint came like two feet outside the paint it was like a a right hook um on the right again like on the right block basically like might as well have been in the paint so that's right there already 12 points just basically all in the paint from Jokic alone and that really was the downfall you look up at the the scoreboard in this game it's not the type of box score that you would think led to such a decisive win. And I'm not trying to make excuses. I'm definitely not trying to negate how bad this felt, how bad this got. I am right there with you. I was in the building. I'm sure many of you were. I, it, was, it was ugly. There was booing. There was, um, you know, mistakes all over the place. There were a lot of misses by key players. Like I I get all of that and I'm not trying to deny that, but aside from Booker and Durant being poor from the field, which we will get to the Nuggets only shot 54%. They only made eight threes. You know, they only had seven offensive rebounds and most of that was in the first quarter from Jokic. Three out of the seven, I believe were in the first quarter the Suns actually, the, the Nuggets got to the free throw line 31 times. Like, that's a lot, but nothing crazy. The Suns got there 21 times, you know? The turnover battle, fairly equal. But it was really that first quarter run, and it was, again, the points in the paint. 62 for Denver, and you just can't, you can't win like that. The Suns did have one last chance to get this close, They had the ball with, uh, I want to say, somewhere in the neighborhood midway through the the second quarter, let's say. Uh, 5.44, so almost right when the Landale personal foul thing happened in the first quarter and, and things flipped almost exactly the same spot in the second quarter, the Suns had a chance to actually flip things back in their favor. Booker... Finally started to get downhill. It felt like the foot was affecting him. Durant scored a little bit. Um, Cameron Payne continued to be unconscious. And the Suns had the ball off of a turnover down 15 with an advantage heading down the court. And you'll remember that play as Cameron Payne turning the ball over. Quote, unquote, the turnover will be attributed to him, of course, He's the one who threw the ball out of bounds. He had four turnovers tonight, but that one, I don't think you put on him, and you could actually see he and Booker, Payne just kind of shrugged his shoulders, but left it there and and somewhat of, I don't think they were like angry at one another, but a very pointed way of like sort of telling Book like that was on you. And it felt, I don't know how many people watched the Warriors-Lakers game four the other night when the Warriors lost and went down 3-1 there was a play in the second quarter of that game pretty similar time frame where in that case the Warriors were up 
and Steph turned the ball over because him and Clay had a miscommunication, and he was livid. They were up double digits, and Steph was livid. And this moment to me felt pretty similar. It was like that was our chance. And I think Curry in that moment understood that the in order to beat the Lakers, they were going to have to limit their mistakes. And I think Payne and Booker both knew in this game, in this moment, that was our last chance to, to get this close again. And it never was close again. Right after that, uh, I believe the Suns went down. The lead went back up to 20-plus. There was a moment uh, when it was down to like 15 or 18 again, I believe, in the third quarter. And then it was, uh, actually, I think it was like 21 after it had been 30 at halftime. Suns had the ball, I I believe, missed. And then it was up to 28. Like There were a couple little moments where the Suns made some runs, but it didn't really matter uh, because Denver just was never going to stop scoring the ball and the Suns just did not have enough. On that note, let's talk about how this happened again, right? It's one thing to be embarrassed when Mikael Bridges gets shy, you know, Jay Crowder's doing his thing, Cam Johnson's getting crossed over by by Luca campaign is is getting bowled over by Luca and Spencer Dinwiddie's doing his thing and feels crazy and nobody can score. It's a different thing when Kevin Durant's on your team, right? So again, how did this happen? We'll get into it next first. Today's show brought to you by eBay Motors. Just like with the championship team, this one hurts today, guys. It's all about making sure every player is a perfect fit and it's the same when it comes to your vehicle. Every part needs to fit just right. So the next time that you need anything, parts or accessories for your car, head to eBay Motors. With eBay's guaranteed fit, you can be sure that every part you need fits right the first time around. Just add your car to the My Garage section and look for the green check to know that part will fit or get your money back. Because just like in sports, confidence is the name of the game when you shop at eBay Motors. And with over 122 million parts to choose from, you'll be back in the game in no time. After all, it's easy to bring home a win when the right parts are guaranteed. So get the right parts, the right fit, and the right prices at ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. eBay guaranteed fit only available to U.S. customers. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, coming back, 125-100. The Phoenix Suns lose game six in disappointing fashion. I've said that already. How did it happen? Or why did it happen? Whichever way you want to think of it. I guess that first segment was more game-focused. That's sort of the how. Why? Why did this happen? Why did a midseason trade for Kevin Durant, a uh, the best season of Devin Booker's career, you know, this shouldn't have happened, right? That's the idea when you make a trade like this. And so if I zoom out, because obviously there's going to be some time to look back on this series, but as it's fresh and and again, before we get into the offseason craziness too deeply, I think that's going to be the sort of stinging portion of this, right? The stinging part of this is it, it shouldn't have felt so similar. You know, and if I if we're all being honest with ourselves, I feel like you could feel some of this in the first round. You know what I mean? It. I don't know. I, I don't want to overdo this, but I also I, I think that I personally, I'll just put it this way, felt at times the same kind of 
pit in my stomach. And it's not even like I'm that, you know, rising and falling with each play. I think, you know, once you've had a few playoffs go back and forth, you, you, you're not as living and dying with every game. So I wasn't necessarily thinking that they were going to be bad or it was the end of the world, but I think the lack of focus on offense, the lack of a plan on offense, the sort of way that this team can get punched in the face and, and not always feel like it has a response in it. I mean, I think that that was better this year. I mean, even for the very simple fact that Durant had so many poor first quarters and then when he was able to get back on track, that would obviously go a long way in in helping the Suns, um, you know, right the ship themselves. But if, if we're looking here, Kevin Durant in the playoffs this season, 11 games, he scored 29 points per game on 48% shooting, 33% from three, and his turnover assist to turnover ratio was a little worse than uh, two to one. So I think the obvious things there are he didn't necessarily make his threes. His overall field goal percentage was it, it's it's a high standard, right? But it's still fair to say, you know, you look at 2021 when he was on a complete tear with that Brooklyn team, he shot 51% from the field. His last run with Golden State, when he obviously ends up tearing his Achilles, he's at 51%. His first go-round with the Warriors, he was at 56%, right? You know, this is getting... What he did in this playoffs is getting back into the territory of where he was in some of those Oklahoma City runs, where obviously that was a different era of basketball, and the Thunder did not necessarily do themselves any favors in terms of spacing and structure on offense the Suns had structure Booker was the best co-pilot I think you would say that that Kevin Durant has ever had outside of the Golden State years between Kyrie and Russell Westbrook I think Booker the way he played in these playoffs without a doubt was better than that and so you would think the seas would have parted for Durant to go ahead and 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 be at least as efficient as some, you know, his best Brooklyn season or even his worst Golden State season, right? And he wasn't, he wasn't even there and the turnovers were high and, and everything else. So I think that it's fair to be critical of Durant, but I think it's also fair to look across more broadly and say, you know, you were still back in a position very similar to last year, very similar to the previous season where there just wasn't enough supplementary offense when there needed to be. And so again, as much as we're going to have time to reevaluate the Durant trade, or I mean, it doesn't really matter how we reevaluate it. it. What's done is done, but that'll happen naturally. We're going to talk about that stuff because it matters and it, it affects how you got to proceed, right? Is the right person making decisions in the front office is, the what about the current shape of the roster is lacking what do you need all those things are are totally fair to ask and i think to me better to ask because you know monty williams in his post game press conference today took full ownership and as much as you can always pick nits and i know that there's a lot of frustration and anger i, I think it's it's perfectly reasonable and valid to think that monty williams very well may lose his job 
I, I would say, uh, conversation for a different day, but as of right now recording this, that's where I'm leaning. And with all that said, I think there's something admirable about owning it, right? He came up on that podium. He spoke like someone who understood the gravity of two straight failures in the playoffs and not just losing in the second round, but in such embarrassing fashion on your home court. I think he he took that. And he spoke like somebody who understood that and understood that they might lose their job. And so that's kind of where I start to think. It's like, it's it's one thing to look at Durant's performance and say he was not, he was a, an A minus instead of an A plus or a B plus, B plus instead of an A plus. Whatever your evaluation of him is, it's it's totally fine to knock him a little bit. Booker was not anywhere near his best in this game. He shot four of 13 from the field. That's a problem too. But why are we back in a situation here in the Valley where in a a big playoff series, you needed out of this world performances to win the two games that you did win. And at a lot of moments when those guys either weren't on the court or were not at their absolute tip top best, things looked bad just straight up bad you know even beating the Clippers in five that those games were close you know Durant was getting his shot blocked by Russell Westbrook and Bruce Brown and and all this stuff and so you look at the Kevin Durant trade and and it did thin this team out but I, I I continue to believe that in terms of what would have impacted this team right now can anyone honestly say I guess you would maybe put the point out there that Cam Johnson you know, would have would have been a difference maker. I don't think the trade gets done without Bridges. If you read anything, if you use any sort of common sense, you're not getting Kevin Durant unless you trade Mikhail Bridges. So that's been true since last June when Durant originally leaked out that he wanted to come to Phoenix. So that's a moot point. Maybe Cam Johnson does something, but I watched the Dallas series. Cam Johnson was not the creator that you were going to want to supplement Booker and Paul in that case, and in this case, it would have been Booker and Durant that just, that wasn't going to be the difference maker. Jay Crowder wasn't even playing on this year's team, but obviously also is not a scorer anyway. What the Suns gave up in that trade that that might come back to bite them is the draft picks. The draft picks were not going to score 20 points tonight. You know what I mean? And so the the problems that let left the Suns where they were in this game I know that it was really a defensive failure, but I think there's also something very obvious to be said about the fact that if you are more effective offensively, if you have better two-way depth, then you're not putting yourself in such a hole in the first place, right? You're not uh, necessarily allowing the Nuggets to get out and transition in a few cases. You're not allowing you know, um, them to score against a an unset defense like it's all connected in this case I think that there were defensive failures to start but I think the offense didn't help that either and definitely after the first quarter the offense did not have what it took to overcome that early deficit and and come back and so that all is sitting there because of the mistakes that were made before that. And and I guess to sum this up, the reason it felt similar is because they have not done enough to overcome exactly what was staring them in the face last off season. And that might feel crazy, but there's only so much that you can rely upon Kevin Durant to do. Yes. The injuries to Chris Paul and, Ke- and Deandre Ayton matter. I'm not sure that they necessarily matter so much because those guys would have flipped a whole bunch of areas of this game six loss 
in the positive so much as it's just bodies, right? You're having a situation where Bismack Biombo, who is very clearly overmatched in this series, is having to come out and play, and he's a minus 26 in eight minutes. You know what I mean? DeAndre Ayton plays in this game, even if he's not the best player in this series by any means, and he's had his struggles. Well, Jock Landale, who's been solid, he's your backup still, or at the very least playing equivalent minutes to DeAndre Ayton, and there's no Bismack Biombo. If if Chris Paul is able to play, there's a little bit less need for Landry Shamit to come out and play 37 minutes and be, you know, pretty inconsistent and poor himself. So these are the trickle downs that you had. But even without that, you're just in a situation where there's not enough on this roster. Again, how they fix the roster, what they need, who is pulling those strings is all a conversation for a different time. But that's where it was and that's why it felt similar because it was similar let's close things out with was this always going to happen or was it just a a, a disappointment today we'll get into that next first one more quick break All right, without repeating myself, 125-100, Suns lose game six. We'll close it out this way. Destiny or disappointment? Was this series ever really in reach for the Phoenix Suns? Because there is a very cogent argument to be made that the Suns won two close games at home that really came down to the last few plays, even with Devin Booker being out of his mind. And again, the argument to be made would be they were basically the vastly inferior team throughout. Now, I actually don't think I fully agree with that. Hindsight is going to make it look that way. Maybe there's no arguing against it. But I truly came away from Game 4 feeling like I thought the Suns had a really good shot at winning game five. If you listen to the podcast throughout that, you you heard me say basically that, you know. I really thought that they had figured some things out, especially Booker and his ability to manipulate the Denver defense that were, would, would allow them to win the series. I, I really thought that things had flipped. I thought the pressure was on Denver. I thought they were going to have to make more adjustments than they ended up having to. It really ended up being, you know, let's devote a little bit more attention to Booker with, you know, physicality and pressing and trapping and some some early things, especially early on in the game, and focus on transition defense, take away the easy stuff. And again, with, with those adjustments, similar to what it was last year with Dallas, where it was just trap him, you know, there's only so much one player is going to be able to do. There's only so much two players are going to be able to do. And so they didn't figure things out permanently in a way that allowed the, the that put the nuggets on their heels and allowed the Suns to obviously win this series. They, they very clearly did not win this series. But I don't think it's fair to say that they, you know, were just blown out of the water and if if Booker isn't on a, a binge for two nights, then then it's it's just like a, a sweep or something. I, I just, I don't think that's fair. I think that takes the context of Chris Paul's injury out of it, I, you know, all these other things. But I also don't think it's fully right to just say, you know, 
darn it. What a what a bad night. Oh well. That's not that's not reasonable either for the reasons that I, I listed off in that last segment. But I also don't really know what the Suns could have done differently in this particular game. Because again, you look at the box score and it's like, what what was what were they supposed to do? You know, they didn't even really get destroyed in any one particular category outside of points in the paint and obviously Aiton's absence would have made a difference there and so with all that said I guess the parting thoughts here for me would be on the coaching side I think one of the lasting things that I will feel coming off of this series yet again and part of why I lean right now toward it might make sense to explore another coach is I don't understand the complacency of going out with what what feels comfortable. Why, why lose comfortably than lose swinging? You know, for instance, and, and this is kind of nerdy and, you know, me getting a little bit ahead of my skis in terms of whatever. We've seen teams guard Nikola Jokic when they don't have a great center option or their center is in foul trouble or they want to use their center as a rim protector. We just saw this, something similar, for instance, with the Boston Celtics tonight against Joel Embiid, right? And it's the same thing we've seen against Jokic. If you can put two bigs on the court and survive that way, then you can use a center like Robert Williams, for instance, or coincidentally, what we saw the Sixers do against the Nuggets when those two teams played in that awesome MVP battle we saw on ABC on the Saturday night game in January, February, whatever that was, is to put they put P.J. Tucker on Jokic. So this is just one very specific example, but I'm confused as to why you wouldn't try something like that in a game like this, right? Have Torrey Craig or T.J. Warren or Ish Wainwright be the... the primary like post up defender against Jokic and have somebody like Durant or Biombo or Baisley even be in help as a guy who can try to come block Jokic's shot at the basket, um, be a helper when cutters get to the rim, maybe try to be there if Murray gets downhill in the two-man game. That felt like an obvious sort of chess move when we've seen it work in other places it's a common tactic around the NBA and it's worked against Jokic and the Suns do have the personnel to pull it off. So that's just that's just one example, obviously. I'm not uh, you know, going to pretend like that would have changed the entire course of the game, but it would have done something. You know, again, also Josh Okogi. I I don't think he was making a huge impact on this series offensively. I understand the 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 weaknesses, but when you allow a 44-point quarter, it seems to me like it might make some sense to go back to a Kogi. The best coaches in the NBA in the playoffs try stuff. They abandon things that are not working. They deploy players in unique ways that are unexpected in order to try to swing, not even games, but hell, even a quarter. You know what I mean? Steve Kerr is changing entire rotations and scheme stuff every single night in order to try to just steal 
wins. Jermichael Green is starting. They win a game because he goes off from three. Now he's back to being a DNP. Kevon Looney is the star of the first round because they're pun- puncturing a weakness of Sacramento by playing off of, of Sabonis and crashing the offensive boards and, you know, whatever it is. And then now Looney is playing less, right? Gary Payton, who was an afterthought a lot of the time for the Warriors, even after they got him healthy, now he's starting and he's being used as a screener in order to involve Anthony Davis in the defensive action and pull him away from the basket a little bit, make him guard rather than just being a, a roamer. Like you can look around at these other series, the way that Eric Spolstra is is using his different players and Kevin Love's pulling, you know, a rabbit out of the hat and being impactful. And then you look up and down the Suns roster and time and again over the past three seasons now, you've had these moments where role players are not put in a position where it feels like they are able to do anything in these big playoff games. Role players shouldn't have to do so much, but this is the bed that the Suns have made for themselves. They have a top-heavy roster. They have Booker and Durant. You need to find these role players. I mean, hell, the Nuggets are thinner than they used to be, right? This is a roster that used to have Jared Vanderbilt on it, that used to have Malik Beasley on it, that used to have uh, Isaiah Hartenstein, all these high-level role players that are making an impact on other teams. The Nuggets don't have those guys. They have Bruce Brown, a rookie, and an old dude, Jeff Green, who was bad for most of this series. <laughs> and that is what their bench is. You know what I mean? And and they're able to make it work because, well, Bruce Brown is an attacker, so let's find ways to get him downhill. Let's put the ball in his hands in a way that it wasn't in Brooklyn. Let's have Christian Brown be a, a defensive player. Let's put these lineups out there. Aaron Gordon's going to have to be on the court every time Jeff Green is on the court, and we'll cobble together a small ball lineup. You know, let's have Kentavious Caldwell-Pope be a screen setter for Jokic, which is not a role that he's played much in his career, but that'll allow him to get free a little bit more and be involved with the best player on the team rather than just standing in the corner. All these ways that the best playoff coaches time and again are able to deploy their best their role players to put them in a position to succeed, and that has not happened for this Suns team. And so I guess that's where I come down is – as much as it was deja vu, as much as it was a result of roster mistakes and, the, and there was an inevitability to being thinned out and being shorthanded, even if the injuries never happened for the Suns, I don't think you can go to bed on Thursday night here and feel like the Suns got the best out of what they had. And that's the sour taste, I think. That's that's what is the hardest to, to sit with, and that's what gets you a 25-point blowout. We'll talk about the coach situation. We'll have exit interviews on Friday. I might do a bonus episode there, depending on what we hear. And obviously, as we get toward the draft and free agency, we'll do this all over again. doesn't feel good to say that. Um, Three straight years where this team had a legit chance to win a title. And I'm just as disappointed as you guys that it it hasn't happened. Um, It is what it is. On to the next. The everydayers, I don't know how many of you there might be. I promise to get creative and have fun and do great work this offseason. I hope you'll come along with me. Hit follow or subscribe to get this show in your feed every day if you don't already. That'll wrap us up. I'll talk to you guys soon.